All right. <clears throat> Welcome to Continuing the Conversation. I'm Carl Amuzu. And I'm Glenn Collins. Fos Church is a community creating space for everyone to find hope, beauty, and purpose in the story of Jesus, becoming rooted as we are reduced to love while we begin reimagining our faith. Continuing the conversation is one of the ways that we are trying to create space for an expanded dialogue and interactions based on the conversations we're actually having in Fos Church. Far too often, we try to sum up leadership in the church under the catch-all title, pastor. But what if God has a bigger picture for equipping the church? What could local expressions of the body of Christ look like organized around the gifts God has given us? This is the question we've been seeking to engage in this series. So if you've been following along with us, then you've got to walk over the past few weeks a conversation surrounding APEST which is a view of leadership that says that our leadership is about the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And these five types make up what is commonly called the fivefold gifts from Ephesians chapter four. And the language or the lens that we're pulling from comes from V3's church as movement that tries to build a more uh, conversational form of leadership out of these five roles. This week, we're going to focus on the, the last of them, teacher. So this past Sunday, we talked about how teachers are the light givers of the community, the expositors of wisdom, the ones who interpret and inform as they help give shape to reality for the community. So just in case you weren't able to be with us in, in this um, last message, a quick 30-second recap on where we came from. As we drew from some of the ancient traditions of what a teacher is, because often the way we imagine the teacher influences what we hear when we see that one of the gifts is teacher. In the ancient times, in the biblical times, the teacher wasn't so much the endless knower of all abstract things, but a wise sage who knew the traditions coming forward, but sat in that place in between with the received tradition and the needs of the community in front of them. So they helped to articulate the story that brought us here and to retell it in a way that allowed for an expansive new reading. All right. So Glenn, let's jump in, man. Any thoughts about teachers before we get to the head, heart, hands questions? Well, when it, when it comes to teacher, just in case um, you would identify yourself as one or you, you ever sit in the role of teacher, a beautiful thing to remember within the biblical tradition is that we don't get to sit as the last answer. We more get to sit in the place of giving the most current answer. So we get to say, this is the word for now, but not the final word in the conversation. So it helps us um, position ourselves within the community well to say that I don't always have to be the final statement, but I get to be um, one of the people participating and help guiding others through what it could look like to have a conversation around our community. Mm, okay. Yeah, I, I, I would even add to that a little bit, or maybe, uh, you know, I tend to be the more uh, more uh, postmodern, pluralistic type dude. So I would say that the teacher <laughs> in that space isn't just about the final answer or the answer for now. It's actually about helping other people shape their responses and the way that they hear the questions and actually respond as well. So I, I would just add that as well into the mix of that. I oh, know that works um, very well. And if you're following with us in the Church's Movement book, it says that the teachers are the, the light givers. So that notion of also revealing the questions you you had to ask to get to the answers you have is sometimes more important. I'd say most of the time is more important than the actual answers you have because the beauty of teaching 
is that you teach people how to have better questions. Definitely. All right. Awesome, man. Um, well, we'll call just before we get to the head, heart, hands questions, man. I just had a few points that I wrote down from when you when you spoke um, that I thought were interesting that I would love to just follow up a little bit on, man. You brought up the phrase Takum Halam, the idea of restoring the world. Uh, I'd love for you to just kind of like jump into that just a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And then I'll have a couple follow up questions yeah. after. Well, it comes from one of the greatest teachers about the turn of the millennia before you get into the um, common era and the time of Jesus. Jesus. His name was Hillel. And he said one of the ways that he had to hold his sacred tradition was within Tukum Halam, which was to restore, to bring peace, to, to bring back a wholeness to the world. So there was often times that in this time period, you had movements from a more agrarian to society to more centers of cities. And you had a movement to where gold was starting to be introduced um, socially. So he had to navigate what these ancient traditions could say about lending or not lending because now people were having more money-based instead of just land-based. And it gave him a way to say, okay, um, we see that the attention to some of our traditions about the health and living of the community. And sometimes he violated the tradition's rules coming forward because he said the first movement is compassion for the restoration of the world. So as, as teachers, we want to say that the way we reveal, the way we show the information, isn't to make sure we have an exact cutting out from other people, but we have a more integrated way of restoring peace to worlds. All right. So would it be fair to say that the way that Halal saw restoring the world was kind of this notion of we hold on to tradition as far as it helps us move to the end game of actually integrating, restoring and holistic kind of community. And we actually kind of almost challenge it and have to rewrite it or reinterpret it in the areas where it actually hinders that. I don't think he would hold it in such a um, notion, uh, a dichotomy or dualism that we have a tradition and then we have the need. Um, as much as we're not holding on to the tradition, but at least for within some of his world of sage and teaching, part of holding on to the tradition is the continued reshaping of tradition to meet the community needs in front of them. Because for the beginning of some of their teachers, which would have been around the first um, kingships that ruled their land, they started writing. They got moved into exile to where another country took them over and took them as um, property. Who got moved into exile? The Jewish people got they were taken into Babylon. They had to tell new. They had to tell their old stories in new ways to give them meaning in a place without temple. In coming back once more, society and systems were changing, and the teacher, the sage, in order to keep the tradition living, was always reshaping tradition to keep a vibrant life. So it's it's not a matter of holding on tradition unless it conflicts. That you actually hold on within that tension so that there is a vibrant life now. Okay. Yeah. So so the tension is moving it into the future. And as as long as we're kind of continuing to move in that trajectory, like mm-hmm. that's awesome. All right. Love it. Cool. I just want I wrote that down when you were when you're speaking about it, because I just love like that concept, like restore the world or you know, the idea. I, I would translate that into like the New Testament phrasing of the the resurrection or the restoration of all things. Well and what's beautiful even now if you read some um the current rabbinic writers is Hillel's term has become a word gloss for social justice that their idea of restoring the world is to expose where injustices happen and bring peace to the marginalized mm. 
That's good, man. So, like, what, what, like I guess, like, maybe some some quick thoughts that, that I, I would love to hear about is the ways that, like, right now we're living in kind of a crazy season of, of, of society, right? Like, we have this global pandemic, COVID-19, the coronavirus, uh, just kind of ravaging things, and, and people are scared, people are panicking, and I think you know, that notion of Takum Halam uh, can actually speak hope. To, to people in this time and as the teacher the ones who are the light givers of the community the ones who help to inform and interpret they actually have a special role to play in this season about actually bringing hope and, yeah. and allowing people to see things that are going to it's, it, this is not the end all you know this is not the end of things um, it's a season that's hard but we'll call it the idea of Takum Halam this idea that God is actually doing something in the midst of this that mm. things are being restored mm. uh, I think is a really important concept for us to hold on to I'd love to just hear some thoughts that you have about like that concept of Takum Halam and how teachers kind of help us live in that tension of the, yeah. what's happening in front of us, the things that we're panicking about, and that future restoration of hope and, and, and wholeness. Now that's, that's a beautiful question on a few points. One, it pulls this from being an abstract, like, yay, we like polycentric leadership. I don't really know what it means, but good for you to an actually lived in ability of um, we're having times of it's it's not the healthy that are in danger it's not the um, affluent or even the middle class are panicking and our movement into autonomy uh, into the sense that me and my household are all that matters has people hoarding basic needs that would then violate those who live paycheck to paycheck. It violates your neighbor. It violates the one who's on a pension that can't just drop a thousand dollars in stockpiling toilet paper and sanitary um, wipes and disinfectants. It, it's shown people when we see ourselves as just single households, we get these conflicts over um, a, one gentleman who just got put on the news because he went to five Costco's in his area, which are warehouses, emptied them all of Lysol disinfectant wipes so he could gouge people on the internet. He wound up buying all the disinfectant wipes from five full warehouses just to cut off the neighbors. And this is where the teacher comes in is the teacher isn't just about giving you the exact detailing, but in the movement towards restoring the world then the thing the teacher needs to reveal right now, the one, the systems that need to be shown is the very question of neighborliness because we've seen ourselves as single households, not neighborhood, not communities. And the movement toward neighbor shows us something that's prominent throughout the biblical history. The most radical thing Jesus did wasn't some of the new teachings he did because we can trace some of those movements. The most radical thing Jesus and the, the way of Jesus did was show a common humanity that transcended tribalism. So I cannot say as long as my household is good, then everything is good. I must say if my neighborhood, my city, my country is taken care of and taking care of the marginalized, those who don't have the ability just to grab, then I'm truly moving to Takum Halam and I'm truly starting to embody the notion of neighborliness, which shows the vocation of the church and of Christ. And that's where I think the um, teacher's voice needs to be right now, not just in trying to quell fears where I think we should, but not just taking away the sensationalist moment, but saying, do you realize we're telling a different story than a united humanity? 
we're telling a different story than Jesus sitting at the well with the Samaritan like we just talked about if you listen to the podcast because we need to sit between those two places and say what is it to create this community where in, in that story it was the marginalized Samaritan woman who had to go in the heat of day because no one would protect her so we need to become that way of Christ that sits at the well with her. And that must be revealed in our everyday systems of shopping, where we take what we can, not what we need, which then makes other people have to worry whether they're going to eat or be able to take care of basic necessities. Definitely. All right, awesome, man. Well, let's 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 move ahead into the head, heart, hands questions. Um, Glenn, you want to just give us a quick, like, just, you know, three sentence definition yeah. or one sentence each. <laughs> so head, heart and hands are just the way that we um, qualify the three focuses of our questions. The head is a more conceptual base. You get to try to affect the way you think. The heart is reflective and you get to try to look at your own experience and say, do I resonate or how do I see myself within this? And then equally important, the hands, which says, because of this challenge to the thinking and a, and a reflective stance, how do I tangibly move towards making this real? Yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, let's, let's start with the first question. Uh, what benefits and drawbacks could come from activating teachers within folks? Uh, <laughs> um, I'd say the drawbacks of activating teachers is that we tend to stagnate as I uh, finished a book recently where the scholar who is also a professional teacher spent 35 pages debating the use of a comma in a sentence because that's the that's the habit of the teacher in the researching the finding the exploring information is um, we can be so concerned with tracing the multiple lines of stories that we forget that the purpose of living is writing the next chapter. And we're like, no, no, wait, wait. We found one other marginalized story. We're not gonna do anything about anyone's need until I know everybody's need. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, it's interesting, I'm thinking of a particular person in the community who I don't think on a surface level, people be like, oh man, this person's a teacher. Um, but based on the way that you described that drawback, I'd be like, oh, okay, like, it, it, it kind of just highlighted, oh, this person probably is a really immature teacher. And I, I won't mm -hmm. give too many details because it's our person in our community. And I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody likes to be called immature, even if they are. Um, and, and that's just a matter of growing. So it's actually not even a, a derogative statement. It's just like we are all, honestly always on this pendulum swing of immaturity and maturity. No, but, no, and that's a really good thing that um, should be heard is when we name within ourselves or we realize the need for growth you only have a need for growth if an immature an immaturity or an underdeveloped part of you so this isn't supposed to be a demeaning aspect in any of us it's the ability to reveal and to cultivate those areas of immaturity so that we can more fully realize our potential. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. But it's often like in the immaturity of it, like just like right now, as Glenn was explaining that drawback side of it, which is coming from an immaturity side of it. Um, it actually highlighted, oh, this person in our community actually functions this way. And so then it begins to ask us the questions. How do we develop? How do we release? Mm. How do we empower? How do we equip? All those kind of questions. Yeah. And so um, it's actually good to be able to look into that. And it's always 
always a sign of growth, right? If we can't say that we need to grow, then we are probably even more immature than we think. Right? So just, <laughs> yeah. just in the mix of that. But I would say a benefit for teachers in the community is that they have a curiosity that everybody else doesn't have, right? They see life in the details. They see things in the things that nobody else is looking at. And then because of that, they're able to bring them forward into the community to say, isn't this awesome? And sometimes people are like, not really. And other times people are like, man, that actually changed my life, right? And so I can think of many instances instances is where something has been brought up where it was just a little detail about something where a teacher in our community has has brought something to light and it actually like like you can see the lights go on and the people around us just like boom 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 everybody's like man I never saw it that way before and so for me the benefits of it is like you can literally like literally like when they were called like the light givers in the community you can see the lights go on when yeah. people catch something they never would have caught without that person's presence in the community so for me that's the benefit that's that's the like the most awesome part of it and I would say with that um, one of the beauties of the teacher is most people I've known the traits of teaching are they're eclectic in their own right they do have some focuses that narrow but they also tend to grab from multiple sources multiple traditions and so they, they if you look at their bookshelves and you know you're a nerd or a teacher if your first judgment of a person when you meet them is to look at their bookshelf and be like i'm not sure you're diversified enough in your reading um, but from that diversity from the teaching perspective you get to link things that people um, haven't thought of yet or it opens up new avenues simply because we don't always get to understand something if we're just doing the historical method. Uh, I got to witness someone who used a jazz musician to explain history and a few of the artists in the room came up afterward and said, wow, everything that was said didn't mean a lot to me. But when you said history is the improvisation of jazz, which has a system going forward, they're like that kept us on the edge of our seats while that person poured their heart out is because the teacher was able to make that link. And that was only because that person had a little bit wider reading. So they were in the middle of jazz theory at the time, which, well, why would you be reading that? Only they know. Yeah, definitely. And I think it was an interesting point when you brought up, and I say this is maybe the drawback side, you brought up the notion that teachers and nerds tend to judge you based on your bookshelf. And I would say the immature side of that is like, they judge you based on that but also like put you in a box typecast you, right? Cause I, I, I'm just being honest. Like I, I've been, I've walked into people's things and I look at their bookshelf and I'm like, okay, I see a lot of blank, blank, blank on this bookshelf. I'm going to treat that person based on what I see on their bookshelf. And an interesting statistic is that 80% of books on people's bookshelves they've never read. So it's a bad way to judge them. <laughs> and 80% of stats are always made up. <laughs> Please tell me that was a made-up stat, though. No, I can't remember the exact number, but it is around 80% of people's books are unread, actually. Okay, this is a PSA (laughs) from someone who identifies as a teacher. If you bought books to develop your conversation, read them, or you will not develop your conversation, and you make every teacher you've had in life cry inside because they weren't able to share with you the beauty of a new book. Or they're just hoarding kindling for the religious apocalypse. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, within the heart, because in that aspect, we saw that the immature um, teacher will, one, tend to judge prematurely because they think they know all the answers. So if they see two books on your shelf, they think they know how you would end a sentence. 
and also they will tend to be prone towards um, movement avoidance since they just have to collect more data until they get all the data, which is impossible, they won't make one step. And we can just see the benefit as they realize that part of the movement to health, to maturity, is saying that we have enough knowledge to move forward, that we don't have to know everything. So as we walk through that, we're gonna move into the heart, which asks the reflective question, do you see yourself in the gift of the teacher if yes, in what ways and what about the gift resonated with you? If no, have you had to operate in the gift of teaching as a phase gift? Because as we've heard in the book, that phase gifts are sometimes some of the roles that we step into to be able to transition points and it may not be our strength. Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's interesting. Like, I think I, I, I wouldn't necessarily see myself in the gift of teacher because I don't necessarily love to dig down into the details. Although I love, like, I love reading, I love the research, I love all that kind of stuff. So it's definitely like on the peripheral for me. Um, but like when I see people who are teachers, I'm like, all right, like, like for me, it's just another level up from from where, where I'm at in that sense. Um, but I definitely see myself as a phase gift that I'll probably never leave. You, you know what I mean? Because I think when you when you function in community from a leadership perspective, like, you know, like just looking at, is it First Timothy's and Titus and stuff like, you know, like um, leaders in the community should have the ability to teach, even if it's in like small ways, you know, you know, you know what I mean? So I think it's a phase gift that if you're leading, you probably need to, to understand oh. a little bit. Well. With that, just to um, unpack a little, when you say in small ways, often when we're not around the microphone, you talk about the notion of different size plates or different size L's in leadership. Is is that what you're meaning when you're talking about? Yeah, big L, little L leaders, right? Not everybody is... Uh, and what does L, that mean? I'm about to explain it, man. Come on, man. Stop interrupting me, bro. <laughs> uh, but no, big L leaders are like just leaders. They just have a bigger capacity. They're going to lead in a way that is is is, is bringing like a whole group of people forward. Where little little L leaders are the people that are they're, they're leading, and it may be it may be a group of five people, maybe one person. It may you know it may be they've learned to lead themselves. Um, but it's this notion of. Of, of it's a it's a capacity issue, and it's not even it's not even uh, giftedness or skills or anything like that. It's, and it's not even about one's good, one's bad. Is they actually serve different functions in the community. Like like mm. some of the most impactful people in in my life have been probably little L leaders because they're able to actually be more intimate where big L leaders are going to be more vision, more high minded as far as seeing the, the needs mm -hmm. of the whole group versus the needs of individuals within that group kind of idea. If so that makes sense. would you have that kind of breakdown as well? If you're saying for a teacher, they may be, um, since it wouldn't be an L, it'd be a T capital T and lowercase T or large, small, like for the notion of teaching. Sure. Yeah. I would say, yeah, for sure. Like, cause I would say like someone who is like, I was like teacher as a type would probably be more like that's the capital T mm -hmm. teacher and it, actually no it's not that's not probably even not even a great way to put it but I didn't think so um but you, you're gonna have those people who are, are those capital T teachers mm -hmm. you know what I mean and 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 but the, the little T you know lowercase mm -hmm. T teachers um are still moving forward and still teaching in their in their rights like and, and we've seen that pop up in our community yeah. numerous times where um a person that doesn't necessarily have the same um what's the word i'm looking for uh 
I would say actually access maybe might be like might be even a key point because I, I think a lot of like the big T or capital mm-hmm. T teachers, um, they have an edu- they, they they pursue the education that comes along with teaching. Right. And so when they break something down, they have like seven or eight years worth of education behind it. Um, and so it's not even a skill set there now. It's, it's, it's actually an access point. Well, I would push a little there. It's a skill set, but it's the difference of the developed skill. Yeah, because that well, you have I, I, to I, learn I, these traits. No, absolutely. I, absolutely. What I mean, though, is that like. Um, I'm thinking of a particular person, mm. particular person in, in my mind right now, is that they have the potential to, if they had access to, they would be a way better teacher than they are now, mm. right? And it's because they don't actually have access to the information. They don't have access to the schooling that we've had. Yeah, and yeah. so therefore, I'm like, oh, I see where you're trying to go and I see what you're trying to develop. And, and so it's a resource thing now for them. It's like, mm. if we can begin to resource them, to empower them, they're going to go from little T to capital T in a sense, you know, gotcha. you know what I mean? Um, in, in what they do. And I think teachers in that sense, like, because I think they're very much about information and, and gathering information, it does become an access and a resource question for their transitions, if that makes sense. And that also goes to uh, point to, I think something that's a little more obvious in the fivefold nature of teacher, as opposed to the difference between a, apostle, evangelist, or um, shepherd, to where for them, that, that can flow a little more naturally in and out of life. Teaching is pretty much a role you have to step into. So it becomes a little more obvious when um, you haven't pursued or tried to access those points to move up into a larger capacity of teaching. So it may not even be a pure capacity, like a talent issue. Um, Like Carl said, it may be more the resource that you didn't start making the moves towards, Um, especially from within certain traditions. Uh, it may be there just wasn't a place for you to move forward in, or maybe there just wasn't a way that you could reimagine what it could look like to be the teacher. I'm pulling us back to the question, though. Um, I was going to ask, since you identify yourself um, more predominantly as apostle, so the one of trying to see what the next stage is and to animate that movement, how has the teacher been, because for the continuing phase gift, a necessary phase gift since... If you can see it, but the others can't, you actually need the teaching phase in order to try to bring other people up to point. And when other people start joining you in that move forward, does that mean you start trying to phase out of teaching or how do you reach a balance there? Yeah, so it's a great question. I think I think, I think think in this one, it's, it's a, it becomes a, a less is more um, trajectory, right? Like, like up front, when it's your casting vision and okay, like people will ride with you a little bit when, Oh, that sounds really awesome. Mm-hmm. But then you gotta kind of, you gotta teach it. You gotta, you gotta, you know, you gotta help people like drill it down in people so they, they understand where we're going as a mm-hmm. community. But the more people get it, the less I actually, the, the, like actually like less it becomes about one person or, or a handful of people teaching in that perspective. And so it's actually, you phase out of it in that sense, but you never phase out of it fully because you're always walking with a handful of people saying, this is where we're going. Let, let me teach you about this. But they're, they're the people who end up getting it and they, they kind of, you know, hopefully if you have teachers in that group, they're going to do it on a level you cannot do it in the community, mm-hmm. right? And so I found often in like, with you know, in, in mine and your relationship, for example, in partnering together in, in building different things where it's like, if I can, if I can get you to understand what I'm trying to say, 
you're going to disseminate that information to the community in a much more efficient way than I can based on our, our base gifts. Mm-hmm. And so it, it works to our benefit for me to actually to pull back because you if I, because to empower you to move forward because that's what's going to move the whole community forward and it's going to you know like and by empowering you it in turn is you like mutuality in that is you empowering yeah. me to do the thing I do and so we actually move forward as a community much more efficiently when we are stepping into our base gifts and allowing that to function but there is that phase crossover and I'd say that's there's an important thing that um, could be easily glossed over right there that we need to note is when we see things in a competitive model, somebody else's skills. So if Carl just said that um, my ability for disseminating information may be a bit stronger than his, would be seen as a threat to a hierarchical system. Whereas in a polycentric or multiple places of leadership system, we can see this as exponential growth because I don't tend to be as apostolic of saying we need to get to that next thing because I'm, I'm usually pretty happy if you just expand my reading list um, so Carl keeps that movement going forward which isn't a threat to me who wants more conversation pieces more narratives coming in nor am I a threat to his ability to um, step into that phase gifting it, it actually works of a multiplication of each other to create that space but that's a learned tension space if you've come from a very hierarchical system and you're trying to integrate this in you're going to feel some a guttural response the first time people start stepping into giftedness because you're like, wait, people didn't look to me. People didn't ask me first. Like when I started to set up Bible classes in the church I worked in, um, the associate pastor came to the class because he wanted to actually sit in the class. And one of the older people in the community, because in her head, hierarchy means the pastor only comes in to check up on you. She turned to him and said, oh, are you making sure he's teaching properly? And he was dumbfounded and stuttered a little bit. It was like, no, I, and he got embarrassed because he didn't want to have to admit, well, I'm actually here to learn because I don't have as much background in the book of Acts. And he was okay with that until that first person spoke and kind of checked him, say like, you're making sure you're in the proper authority position, right? Because this movement can cause us to um, have some pause in ourselves. Yeah, definitely. And I don't know if you caught that part of the conversation here as well. Like when I asked the question, do you see yourself in the gift of the teacher? Um, Glenn's answer is an affirmative, yes, I do. Um, is there any way else I see myself? No, I do not. <laughs> <laughs> I'll operate in other settings, but my preference is being able to um, organize lectures and get people involved in the conversation. Because um, one of the ideas of saying, do you, do you resonate with this gift? Um, and how does it resonate with you? is I got into biblical education and academics because I was pretty sure um, that the only reason things were difficult to understand is I didn't have all the information. And I knew one day as I grew and I read more books that I would have all the answers. It turns out the only thing I got was better questions. Yeah. So with that, I actually have a question that Mm -hmm. I I think it's an interesting question. It may not be an interesting question at all, but I think it is. Uh, So another one of both of our passions, I think, has been the Enneagram over the past Mm -hmm. couple years. And so would you say that you being Mm -hmm. an Enneagram type five and the type of a teacher, what's the correlation? Explain Um, that to me. I'd say the the correlation in this, actually, because if you're going to go with your Enneagram types, um, my Enneagram type would be the social five, which means that I, I love to gather information and 
Um, fives in health move towards an eight, which is one who challenges systems. And as one who understands themselves as a social five, it means like one of our really good friends, he is also a five. He's also such a gifted student that when he finished his master's degree, his school wrote him and said that they'll make sure he's done with a doctorate in a year and a half because his master's thesis was so good. They didn't even want him to make him do extra work. They wanted to be able to give him a degree. But he doesn't care so much about social things. He is much happier teaching small groups or small class and then retreating into his sanctuary. For myself, the movement is towards community dialogue. And so the way these link for me within the teaching is I find in my greatest health, um, I gather information in order to challenge the systems. And in my maturity as a teacher, like I said, when I first got in, I thought I'd fix everything. I've learned that it's not a matter of fixing, it's a matter of um, stepping into that music, writing the next verse, and realizing that it's multiple voices within the community, not the single dominant voice. And I've been able to step into that tension, which according to the Enneagram is actually where I thrive a bit better, is creating that social space of multiple people being able to add voice. I just get to step in more as facilitator, because as facilitator, I research, I guide, and sometimes, I shake the questions the other people ask to say, oh, you're asking that out of this lens that may not be the most helpful lens. What could it mean for people now? Um, and try to push to make sure we're asking our best questions for the most living community. But that puts us in awkward situations. Definitely. And uh, just to take a pause, a uh, side note real fast. If you're not familiar with the Enneagram, I suggest that you look it up. It's, it's a really helpful uh, ass like assessment and tool to actually move towards wholeness in your life. It's been like, you know, one of the best things that I've walked through in the last maybe three or would four you years. Have, just in case um, people don't, what would be uh, one of the better books to start with or better podcast, depending on how a person yeah. processes? Well, I would say two, two, two resources. One would be uh, The Road Back to You by Ian Morgan Cron and Susan Stabile as a book. And a second book would be um, The Sacred Enneagram by Chris Hortz, I believe, is, is the author. It starts with an H anyways. Sacred Enneagram, really good book. Because that one, like, Sacred Enneagram, for me at least, was like a second book I would read. I wouldn't read it first. But it was it was organized around pathways to wholeness, and so mm -hmm. it, was, it was such a healing book. Um, and then for podcast, I would I would look at um, the Typology podcast with Ian Morgan Cron, um, or you could actually the Road Back to You podcast. It's a couple years old now; they haven't updated it, but it's actually a great primer. Is mm -hmm. you know they were actually walking through the book in a yeah. sense with uh, podcast guests. You know what I mean? So That's it's it. actually really good. If primer. you're looking for more general information on each of the types and the way they process. Ian Morgan Crown's podcast, Typology, uh, would be one of your best primers because he walks you through all the material and he's actually a very um, strong voice within the development of the Enneagram. So in that one, that would give you a great base to be able to hear the other people. Yeah, no, definitely. And we'll call it like even that question of resource and stuff like that comes purely out of like that teacher mentality, right? Like this is something that Glenn discovered or we both, you know, like that he's walked through in his life. Um, and now he wants to make sure that you could also do it. He wants to interpret and inform your life for you. <laughs>
with you. For you. <laughs> if you get the right answer, it's with you. Yeah. All right, well, let's move on to the last question because, uh, you know, we've been at this for a little bit. Mm-hmm. But So what practices could allow us to equip, empower, and facilitate teachers in our community? Um, just being one who's been raised around some of the religious traditions that have had un- some unfortunate experiences, um, being more in the teacher mindset, and actually some very liberating is that the things that hinder the, the um, ability for a teacher to step into the community is making them have the same answer as you. Because if the person loves to process and to try to come through the material, it creates a very inhibiting space when you say you can come through the material as long as you always agree with me. And that at least it taught me to be careful who I was honest with. Because mm-hmm. if I was really honest about the things I read and understood, then that either made me a threat to the community or a victim of the community. And that can create a very um, distancing effect if this is a sacred community we're supposed to gather together in. And if each of the five giftings actually shouldn't see the world the same way, we're going to have tension. That's natural. But if I if my giftedness is always seen as a threat to the sanctity of the community or to the unity, then I'm going to either learn to not think, to repeat answers without questions, or I'm going to go hide and find a community that will allow me space. Definitely. And, and I, I love the point you brought up about tension. I think actually learning, like like one of the ways that you can equip, empower, and facilitate teachers is to actually help learn and live in that, in that tension. Um, you know, tension, often people try to shy away from it. Like they don't like tension. They feel like, okay, tension automatically means something negative. But tension, I would say, honestly, usually leads to potentiality, right? It mm-hmm. leads to potential. It's like the, the you know, the, the metaphor that people always use or the analogy people always use are the rubber band. You know yeah. what I mean? The further you stretch it back, the further it's going to go when you let go of it. Um, and and I think it's that, that notion that tension actually can, can, can bring that in the community if you learn to live and sit with it. And so I think teachers, more than any of the other ones, actually teachers and prophets, I would say, do this the most in the community is they highlight the tension for us and they bring us to points of tension because the other the other ones, shepherd, evangelist and apostle, they're going to say, OK, let, well, let's just put our, our differences aside so we can do this for from different for different mm-hmm. reasons ones to move forward ones to sell ones to to guide but let's just move forward you know let's let's do that where the teacher hold up one second let me tell you about what's wrong with this let me let me bring the tension point to you and that's actually a great thing because it actually allows the community to move forward with, with a lot more potential and possibility in my opinion yeah i'd say i'm um, speaking as again as one to equip and to empower a teacher if you see someone in your community that is naturally drawn towards trying to find new information and when they read a new book or a new theory they try to help it apply to every system around them one of the best ways to equip is if you know some good starting places within that conversation or even a collection of voices within the conversation they're interested in introduce them to them or make a gift of a, of a couple of books and say read this over the next couple of weeks and i'd love to sit down and hear you explain it to me Let's, mm-hmm. let's have a conversation because you'll get them in in a developing rhythm of how do I synthesize information to succinct statements because the difficulty of learning as a teacher is you want to explain everything and in explaining everything, you effectively give people nothing. Yeah. And so that's going to be the growing curve is helping them be able to disseminate information by saying, why don't we sit in this book and I would look for what are small steps you can give them to be comfortable with um, 
being able to facilitate in front of a class. Uh, when I was an undergrad, um, I may have gotten distracted a couple times and so I didn't do homework. My teacher pulled me aside and said, you're far too smart for the grade you have. Rather than the paper you're supposed to turn in, I'll let you do two lectures for the class. So recognizing my immaturity that I didn't turn something in, instead of punishing me, I did way more research, way more work to write two and a half hours of lecture on the book of Ezekiel, which is what the paper was supposed to be on because he noticed something in me. But instead of trying to fight with me and my immaturity, he said, let me give you an avenue to have some space. And notice it wasn't unsupervised space. The teacher was still in the room. He was still participating. And sometimes he asked clarifying questions, but he empowered me by saying, I see you're having trouble here. Do you want to explain it to everyone? He gave me small places to try to hone my skill. Yeah. And I would say like, like that's an important thing actually to highlight in, in that was that the teacher noticed the way that you actually probably learn best. Like you, if you have the opportunity to just turn around and disseminate information to somebody, you learn a lot better than if you have to write a paper, like mm -hmm. that's, that's the way you do it. Um, and so like just even being able to understand within the community, the different ways that people learn, like there's different adult education theories, but the, pr the primary one is the, the eight ways of learning in a sense. If you can understand that as, as someone leading in the community, you're going to be able to empower different the, the teacher, I think, because the moment that you begin to, to actually communicate in their learning language, whether it's auditory or visual or, or kinetic or whatever, different ways like that, um, you're going to see them come alive uh, and, and, and you're going to see them begin to like take what they're learning and then reinvest it into the community around them. And so it's going to reap dividends just to have that one simple thing of being able to speak their learning language, if that makes sense. No, it does. Um, simply because it, that person got me excited for the notion of what teaching could be because he paid attention to me and took a risk. And for any of the people you give space to teach, I know it's scary. I know it can cause a lot of emails if you're running a church. But that's the gamble we take for expansion. Otherwise, we can never get bigger than the three people we have if we do not take the risk of including the voices that are underdeveloped. But with that, I'd say we've spent some time around this. We're coming to a close. Um, we want to remind everyone that we're not meeting physically for this time because of the coronavirus. So we're trying to be responsible and to think of neighborliness. We don't meet not because Carl and I um, have the virus and we're unhealthy. We don't meet now simply because we have a lot of people within the community that would be more susceptible. And for the benefit of the whole community we're taking time to do social isolation as been recommended by the government and by the different health organizations mm -hmm. so if you still want to join in this conversation though we want to try to create that avenue so we're going to do our liturgy at five o'clock on sunday but online instead of in person yeah so um you can get those details at fos fos dot church so fos dot no, FOS, period, okay. church. Um, and uh, basically on the front page, you know, it just says COVID-19 update. Underneath that is the instructions for how we're gathering. And so we'd love for you to be able to join us um, in the mix of the conversation. And uh, just thanks for joining us here in the Continuing the Conversation podcast. Go in peace.